Welcome to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later, where we research the response of our past and review their relevance for today. This is your host, Moshe Kurtz. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about what is a very relevant and harrowing topic. At the time of this recording, uh, the Israeli army is currently in Gaza. They are deliberating whether to enter Rafah right now. And there's much discussion that is going on within Israel about whether we should bring citizens to resettle the land of Gaza at the end of this conflict or even during the conflict. I want to bring on Rabbi Michael Freund, who's going to be talking about this topic, uh, primarily as our podcast does from a halachic standpoint about the significance of the land of Aza from a uh, legal religious perspective. But also Rabbi Freund brings to the table uh, political knowledge as well. And I think it's really important that we're able to fuse the knowledge of both together in this very pertinent discussion. Rabbi Michael Freund is the founder and chairman of Shavi Yisrael, which assists lost tribes and hidden Jewish communities to reconnect with Israel and the Jewish people. Born and raised in New York, Rabbi Freund moved to Israel in 1995 and was appointed shortly thereafter by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to serve as his deputy communications director at the age of 28. After leaving the Prime Minister's office following the 1999 Israeli elections, Rabbi Freund worked for the Jerusalem branch of Ruderfin, the global public relations firm, and went on to found Shava Yisrael in 2004. In addition, for the past two decades, he has been a syndicated columnist for the Jerusalem Post. At Shavi Yisrael, he has assisted more than 5,000 Bnei Menashe, descendants of the tribe Menashe, to make Aliyah from India, as well as Chinese Jews from, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Kaifeng, China, and Bnei Anusim, Moranos from Spain, Portugal, and South America. For his work at Shavi Yisrael, Freund has received a number of prizes and awards, including the Jerusalem Prize and the Moskowitz Prize for Zionism. Rabbi Freund holds an MBA in finance from Columbia University and a BA from the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs at Princeton University. He's the co-author of the books, Do You Have Jewish Roots? Which has been published in three languages and A Drop in the Ocean, A Daily Dose of Eretz Yisrael. And he has received rabbinical ordination after learning with Rabbi Ari Aiken. And Rabbi Freund is a proud father of five sons, four of whom are in elite IDF combat units. And he remains a loyal New York Mets fan. Um, I think that last part of your bio, well, the one before the Mets, uh, is probably the most relevant point uh, for our sports lovers. I don't understand, but if the Mets are your thing, that's great also. But uh, Rabbi Freund currently has uh, four sons who are serving in the IDF during this conflict at the time of recording. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit um, more about your personal connection to this topic and uh, what we have to know. Sure. Um, actually, all five of my sons are currently in the IDF. Uh, four of them are in combat reserve. And uh, three of those four uh, have uh, spent a great deal of time in Gaza uh, since October 7th, um, fighting the good fight and defending the Jewish people in the land of Israel. And... Um, uh, so Gaza is uh, clearly a subject that's uh, been on everyone's mind uh, for the past several months. And um, like many parents of soldiers, um, it's something that we think about constantly. Um, 
on a daily basis, on a very personal level. Right. And so you have the personal connection with your sons who are serving right now, who, who have seen Gaza from the inside. And also you bring your political knowledge. And also, um, I've had the the pleasure since you've been with us in America for a little bit. Um, every time I'll share Dvar Halacha, you usually have a Ha'ara to share when you daven with us here in Stanford. And so I've come to appreciate your expertise in Halacha as well. And so what I think we're going to be looking at is a tshuva from Rav Yaakov Ari now, generally, his chuvos are co are collected into Baola Shel Torah. For those watching on the video, you can see I'm holding up the book, but you can certainly research it as well. Can you just tell us very briefly before we jump into Rav Ariel's chuva about the halachic status of Gaza, just very briefly what we need to know about Rav Ariel and um, why he's writing this chuva. Is it just like academic, or I would imagine it, it has some uh, there was some lamaisa element to this. Sure. Uh, Rav Ariel, for uh, for many years, I believe more than two decades, served as the chief rabbi of Ramat Gan, and he is considered one of the leading post-scheme, one of the leading decisors of uh, Jewish religious law in the religious Zionist community in Israel. And uh, this tshuva in particular um, appears on the website of the Machon HaTorah Haaretz which was based in Kfar Darom in Gaza up until 2005 uh, when Israel withdrew and expelled the Jewish communities there. Um, the tshuva was written clearly before, uh, years before the expulsion, um, but uh, it touches upon um, the question that was relevant then and equally relevant now about the, the sanctity of Gaza and whether the, um, the mitzvah of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, of dwelling in the land of Israel, applies to Gaza. Right. So I should probably, we should probably mention that this entire tshuva, which is an immense piece, you know, it's an immense piece of scholarship, and we'll cover the salient points. Uh, it presupposes that there is a mitzvah of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, of making Aliyah to Israel. Um, we could leave this for a separate discussion, but we'll just take it for granted. Of course, there's the tshuva of Moshe Feinstein, which caused much consternation, um, especially within the religious Zionist community, about whether it's just a mitzvah kiyumis. It's a good thing to do, but you're not obligated. So he's working on the assumption there's a mitzvah called Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, and the only question simply is, does Gaza fall within those borders of Eretz Yisrael that it would be considered, you know, I guess what would, what would be the, the halachic ramifications other than moving to Israel, uh, the midst of Yishuv, what are the other halachic ramifications of whether Gaza is considered part of Eretz Yisrael or Chutz Eretz? Well, clearly it would also touch upon questions of mitzvot hatzluyot ba'aretz, um, commandments that are dependent upon the land, uh, such as uh, giving truma or maser to uh, kohanim and levim, um, things of that sort. Uh, questions would also arise then um, as to whether, let's say, produce from Gaza, one would have to apply those halachas or not. 
Right. This has huge implications for Shemitah. And I know yeah. the I know the controversy is usually or not the controversy, but usually um, when this discussion comes around a lot is usually the you know, because that's only the South, you know, that's that's pretty far off. But it's funny because I never I never thought about Gaza as being questionably part of Eretz Israel. Now, maybe this is just me, Moshe Kurtz, anachronistically living, you know, Baruch Hashem nowadays, where the territory of Israel expands significantly, of course, as you've mentioned, this tshuva, I actually just want to read the language here. As you said, it was clearly written before uh, the Jewish population was taken out of Gaza. He says, Mikan, he's explaining why he wrote the tshuva. There are those who are raising questions about the connect our connection to our holy Homeland. And regarding our obligation to settle this land. So based on everything, he says, and even the possibility of giving it over to our enemies, the people who want to murder us. They tried many years to take us out of Gaza and they were not successful. Unfortunately, they did have some success in the end. As you mentioned, it was the Israeli government that actually took the Jewish people out of Gaza. And so this is being written beforehand, but the question that he's raising is relevant no matter what point of history we're really talking about. So I guess what would be the side to uh, consider Gaza part of Israel, and why would we think it's not part of Israel? Right. Well, I, I think it's important before we dive into the tshuva just to give sort of a brief uh, biblical and historical overview of uh, Gaza and its connection with the Jewish people, because uh, many Jews are simply not familiar or not aware of that connection. And it happens to be a connection that goes back to the very dawn of our history uh, as a people. Uh, for example, uh, when Avraham Avinu uh, first arrived in uh, Eretz Yisrael, uh, the Torah tells us uh, explicitly that um, he went and lived in Gerar. Uh, Gerar was a city in Gaza. Ah. Um, and his, um, his son, Yitzchak Avinu, of course, um, also lived in, uh, went to Gerar, and it was there in um, in Bereshit, Peret Kafvah, very interesting. Um, the Torah tells us that there was a, a famine in the land, uh, just as there had been in the days of Abraham Avinu. So Yitzchak went to um, Gaza, to Gerar, and um, Hashem then said to him, uh, well, the Pasuk says, God appeared to him and said, don't go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land that I tell you to dwell in. And then he says, He says to Yitzhak Avinu, while he's in Gaza, dwell in this land. And I will be with you and I will bless you. And both the Ramban and the Orachaim on the spot say explicitly that Gaza, that the land of the Plishtim, of the Philistines, was included in the promise mm -hmm. that Hashem had made to uh, Avraham, uh, that it would be part of uh, the Jewish people's eternal inheritance. Yeah, I'm so glad to just, hear that. You know, it's it's 
in, in better times, it would be prime real estate. You know, think about the waterfront property over there. It's uh, absolutely, it's absolutely. Uh, you know, a shame just from a strictly real estate standpoint, uh, not to mention all the other complications that are very obvious. Right. But and again, it's just interesting to, that Dafka in Gaza is where Hashem chose to tell Yitzhak Avinu ah. um, to reiterate the promise that the land of Israel would belong to the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. um and um you know centuries later after Yitzhak Mitzrayim when Am Yisrael came to uh, to Canaan and captured the land so um uh Gaza was apportioned to the tribe of Shevet Yehuda uh our ancestors the Judeans um it's uh, it's a possible consider for Yehoshua Perak Tetvav that it was apportioned it was given to the tribe of Judah and according to Sefer Shoftim, uh, in the first parak in Pasuk Yudchet, it says, mm. that Judah captured Gaza and its border. Pretty explicit. Now, interestingly, uh, even though Yehuda captured Gaza, uh, down through the centuries, it remained a very problematic area as it remains today. And... Um, we see uh, historically, of course, the story of Shimshon Hagibor, uh, Samson took place in Gaza. And um, many years later, uh, during the Hasmonean period, during the, the Hashmonaim, after the Hanukkah miracle, Yehonatan, um, uh, the youngest of Matidiahu HaKohen's uh, five sons, attacked Gaza and uh, battled its, its population, which Josephus, um, in his Antiquities of the Jews, describes as um, having been very problematic. And he, uh, he subdued them, he subdued Gaza, and they promised uh, to behave, uh, which of course they didn't, again, echoing or heralding perhaps uh, later events. Uh, so even though he pacified them, they continued to cause problems and to agitate. And um, it was only later on that Shimon HaMakabi, who took his place, uh, was able to finally conquer Gaza. Um, now, down through the generations, um, Jews have always lived in Gaza uh, on and off. Um, there's... Um, in the Gemara, for example, Masechet Sota, Dav Kaf Amud Bet, uh, the Gemara mentions a Rabbi uh, Eliezer ben Yitzchak, who it calls an Ish Kfar Darom. Kfar mm -hmm. Darom was a city in Gaza. Uh, one of the oldest uh, synagogues ever found in the land of Israel is in Gaza. Uh, it date back, dates back over 1,400 years. Um, through the Middle Ages, there was a, uh, a thriving Jewish community there. Uh, the Abarbanel, I found a very interesting um, uh, mention. In, he visited the land of Israel in 1488, and he wrote a sefer called Darchet Tzion, where he writes that he visited Gaza, and there was a Jewish community there, and they even showed him the building that Shimshon Hagibor 
had uh, brought down on the police team. You know, I always um, wonder about those stories. I, I remember when I was, um, I, I learned at Yeshiva Shalavim. And so like many gap year programs, they bring you on trips throughout Eretz Yisrael. I remember we had a tour guide and he like pointed to like just a little cluster of rocks. Like, and these are the rocks that Yaakov, our forefather, slept on. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, maybe. So I always get a kick out of like, how do, how do people... You know, I think the Chazonish, he cited in this Chuvah of Ariel, makes this point, which is we see references to Aza uh, many years back, as you've documented. But I guess the question is, borders change over time. You know, what we call Lithuania today was not the borders of Lithuania of yesteryear. And practically any country, the borders have shifted so much throughout history. So how do we even know that when we talk about Gaza nowadays, that it's the Gaza of uh, yesteryear? Right. Rav Ariel uh, uh, cites that, um, but and I think he, he makes an interesting point, which is that what the Chazonis says might be applicable to places where there was no continuous Jewish presence. But in a place like Gaza, for example, where there was a continuous Jewish presence, we can say with a high degree of certainty that it is the same uh, Gaza that we are we are referring to. Um Right, one other, as a Masoras uh, Ratsufa. Right, exactly. And ju just one other interesting historical point before we get to the Chuva. Um, <laughs> many people don't know this, but uh, you know, every Friday night, we uh, many of us sing uh, Karibon Olam, one of the Zmirot uh, of Shabbat, that was written by Rabbi Yisrael Najara, who was the chief rabbi of Gaza. Wow. Uh, Karibon Olam was written in Gaza. Um, so, uh, even if we're not conscious of it, uh, Gaza is with us. Uh, it's really, it's really influenced us throughout the ages and we don't, we didn't even realize it. Yes. I, I didn't realize yes. it. <laughs> so this is, this is really helpful background. And, um, as I, as I always like, you know, the reason on this podcast to speak a little bit meta for a moment that I bring on guests rather than I talk myself is because, I have a lot to learn also. Um, I, I am also learning a lot along the way with everything that you're sharing. So let's take a look at the tshuva itself. It's a rather long tshuva, and I know he has different iterations of it in Bola Torah and then online, as you referenced. So he's kind of adjusted it a little bit throughout the years, depending on the scope. But in Os Dalid, I know he gives a nice summary of the different positions. And basically, the borders of Israel, when we talk about the borders – are we talking about the borders based on what HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised us? Are we talking about the Ole Mitzrayim when, you know, Yoshua leads the initial conquest? Are we talking about the Ole Bavel from Ezra? I, I would assume that's really um, the meat and potatoes of this Machlokis over here. Do you want to speak about that? Absolutely. Um, and there's a, a very important yesod here, a very important point that needs to be made, which is that um, – Eretz Yisrael has an inherent sanctity to it that um, it was imbued with by Hashem. Um, this is something that uh, the Kuzari talks about um, and the Kaftor Vaferach talks, talks about as well. Uh, that is an inherent Kedusha, a sanctity that is not contingent upon who is in control of the land. Mm. Regardless of who is there or not, Eretz Yisrael has this sanctity about it. Right. But there's an additional element of sanctity which comes to it when the Jewish people possess the land. 
and settle the land and develop the land. Uh, that gives it an added element of, uh, of Kedusha. Parenthetically, it's just worth mentioning that this is a very uh, beautiful example, I think, of the role of man in bringing uh, Kedusha into the world in partnership with Hashem. Mm. Eretz Yisrael is holy, but when we are there, when we are building the land and doing what we're supposed to be doing, we can add other elements of Kedusha to it. And that takes on halakhic expression in terms of the various, uh, that we mentioned earlier, the mitzvot that are tluyot ba'aretz, um, which, uh, at least according to some, are connected to whether most of the Jewish people are living in the land or not, um, as to whether they are uh, biblically ordained or, or rabbinically ordained. Um, so that, that's just sort of an important point to keep in, in, in mind. Now, the question then becomes, and this is a, a question that the Gemara talks about in a number of places, um, is um, to what extent does that Kedusha remain in place uh, when the Jewish people are exiled? And as you mentioned, uh, where does it remain in place? What are the boundaries that we are talking about? So we have the boundaries that Hashem told to Avram Avinu, which is the famous from the Nile to the Euphrates. Uh, subsequently, though, when the Jewish people um, uh, entered the land of Israel under Yehoshua and captured the land, um, that generation, the Olei Mitzrayim, they sanctified the land through conquest. And uh, that is known as the Kedusha Rishona. And Chazal tell us that because that Kedusha was brought about through conquest, when the Jewish people were exiled by the Babylonians, that element of the Kedusha uh, was nullified. Again, not the inherent sanctity, but the Kedusha that was brought about through the conquest. Right, which has implications for Mitzvah Hatzulios Ba'aretz, right? Exactly. And subsequently, 70 years later, when the Jewish people began to return uh, under Ezra and Nehemiah, so they became known as the Ole Bavel, and they sanctified the land with Kedusha Shnia. They sanctified it through settlement, and that sanctity, uh, according to almost everyone, is forever, mm -hmm. is permanent. Now, the, the complexity enters the equation when we look at the boundaries, because the Ole Bavel uh, settled a portion of territory that was much smaller than that that was settled by the Ole Mitzrayim. Um, so questions began to arise about the applicability of various mitzvot in areas that had been captured by Ole Mitzrayim, but were not later settled by the Ole Bavel. And this is what Rav Ariel is addressing in the tshuva. Right. And he begins by um, talking specifically about Ashkelon, the city of Ashkelon, which is northeast of Gaza. Uh, Ashkelon and to the south of it. And he he cites a Gemara in Gittin. All right, at the um, beginning there. Oh, I, 
all my all my trauma from that huge ptosis and the borders and my my head my head is already beginning to spin again. <laughs> That's complicated stuff. But please, yeah, let's let's break it down. So what's the um, yeah? So the issue uh, is Gaza is to the south of Ashkelon, right? Right, and the Gemara there uh, talks about how if someone brings a get from Medinot Hayam, uh, meaning from outside the borders of Israel. Uh, they need to say before whom it was written and before whom it was signed. Mm -hmm. And Rabbi Yehuda there is quoted as saying, among other things, that um, he draws the line at uh, Ashkelon and south of Ashkelon. Mm -hmm. So Tosfot, right there, uh, Rabbeinu Tam asks the obvious question, which is, well, um, that's Eretz Yisroel. Why is there uh, even an issue here? And... Um, they answer, he answers that Ole Bavel um, did not capture uh, Ashkelon and the area south of it. In other words, even though Ole Mitzrayim did, Ole Bavel did not. Mm. And that is why it's seemingly, according to, to Tosfot, uh, certain laws would not apply there because uh, it did not have the Kedusha Shnia. Right, so you're saying the question the question is the mitzvah hatzlios ba'aretz whether they apply to gaza because of which borders they fall into but i i guess there's still that latent sanctity that would remain arguably exactly and now the rambam as rav Ariel points out held differently he holds that um a place that was sanctified with kedusha rishona alone meaning a place that was captured by ole mitzrayim but not settled by ole bavel uh nonetheless is still obligated in trumot and masrot hmm. so seemingly there's a machloket between tosfot and the rambam on that point about whether those mitzvot uh, apply to a place such as Gaza, um, as we discussed. Right. And so something like Rav, Rav Ariel points out about this is that even if we base this on the borders of the Ole Bavel of Ezra, which were smaller and presumably did not include Gaza because of, as we mentioned in the Mishnah, he actually, um, he writes, mm. So he basically said, he's talking about how maybe the goal is that we should be re-expanding the borders. And I think it, it actually raises a very interesting question. Um, you know, this gets into the fundamental question of how you view the state of Israel today. But if the state of Israel, which, okay, members of the government, uh, some of them are not Jewish, some of them don't practice Judaism, so we got some uh, serious complications there. But if you consider it a Jewish state and they conquer certain territory, could it then be re-annexed into um, Eretz Yisrael for Mitzvah for its purposes. Uh, we have concept of Surya, how Surya was annexed. So in some ways it's like Eretz Yisrael, some ways like Chutzah So, you know, one can make the argument that maybe even if Aza wasn't in the Ole Bavel borders, maybe it could be reassimilated 
back to the place that it was meant to be the entire time. Uh, he seems to be going in that direction. Can you just maybe, maybe just like summarize? So what is, what's like, Rev, I assume Rev Ariel as a prominent religious Zionist rabbi is not going to conclude and say, sorry, Oz is not part of Eretz Yisrael. They can have it, right? I, I assume that's not what he's going to say. What, what's, but um, what, what's, does he surprise us with his psak in any way? Well, that, that touches on a separate issue, which I, I don't know that we have time to go into about um, what's called uh, a distinction that's drawn between kibush rabim and kibush yachid. Mm. Um, so, for example, if a, a single Jew were to go and settle in a particular area, does that necessarily uh, invest it with that uh, additional kedusha or not? Right. And do you need As a, a heter from the Sanhedrin? You know, do you need to be authorized by the Sanhedrin to go ahead and conquer the land? That's another question. And there are those who cite, I believe it's the Lashon of the Ramban in a particular uh, statement of his, where um, it seems to be more broadly the, let's say, the representatives or the bulk of the nation deciding to do something, that that might give it the power to extend the Kedusha to those areas. Um, And so that's sort of a a public policy uh, debate, as it were. I I remember during the first Lebanon war in 1982, there was a question that arose when when Israel uh, entered southern Lebanon, which is within the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael, whether there was an obligation to try and settle there. And one of the answers that was given was that because uh, Israel went in not for the purpose of conquest, and but rather simply to remove a terrorist threat. Hence, there was no obligation to try and uh, uh, reassert sovereignty or, or settle the land. Uh, this is because this is not part of the original borders of Eretz Israel. Is that the idea? I Meaning, it's Melchemes Rishus. It's uh, not a well, not a that was part that was part of the debate, right? I mean, even if you if you say it is sanctioned, it would still be a rishus. It would still just be optional, so to speak. Um, you know, I'm curious also just in in terms of public policy. Maybe let's uh, let's shift to your political expertise uh, briefly as we're coming toward the end of our learning session together. So it sounds like either way you slice it. There's for sure at least the first element of the latent inherent kedusha in Aza. Um, whether it is Mrs. Satuyas Baaretz is more of a technical question that needs to be resolved as well. So, Aregel <laughs> Achas, what's uh, we're in a very um, a very dangerous and precarious situation, as we mentioned at the beginning. The IDF is in Gaza right now, operating there. Um, they are basically at the doorstep of the southernmost city of Rafah, the Egyptian border, and there's a discussion of Israelis uh, resettling Gaza. So from a religious standpoint, it sounds like from your articulation that it is in in a vacuum, something very commendable. But what's your understanding in terms of the metzias of something like this happening? Well, look, on the one hand, a large portion of the Israeli public, uh, at least in, according to surveys, does support the idea of reestablishing a civilian Jewish presence um, in Gaza. Though right now, in the middle of a war, it might seem a little fanciful uh, to be uh, discussing that idea, since we don't know yet exactly what the outcome of the war will be, or when it will end, or how it will end. Um, 
but uh, we're allowed to dream. Hmm. Uh, the Jewish people have always been dreamers um, in a good way. Uh, it was, um, if you go back uh, 100 or 200 years, the idea that we would establish, reestablish a sovereign state uh, seemed fanciful and seemed out of reach, uh, like a dream. So um, whatever one thinks about um, the idea of resettling Gaza or, the re or whether it's realistic or not, um, we can put that aside and say that um, uh, we need to nourish the dream and leave it up to Hashem as to whether and when it will come to pass. Right. We need to be aspirational. You know, even if there's roadblocks in the way, we have to know what the ultimate goal is. Um, it's an interesting question that comes up many times. I'm curious um, your take on this. Um, many times there's that kind of people talk about this disconnect between American Jews, who I guess are more secular overall versus Israeli Jews um, on how they envision the state of Israel, whether it should be a halachic state. Now, there's kind of like you find in a modern Orthodox community, people who are uncomfortable for philosophical reasons. Uh, there are people who will say, well, ideally, I want it to be a halachic state, but we're just not ready. We can't just do it all overnight in one shot. I wonder if it's a similar kind of discussion about ideally the state of Israel should be run uh, based on the Torah's dictates. It's the land of God. It should be run by the laws of God. And maybe it's just a question of there are certain roadblocks until we fulfill that vision. Would, would you say a similar kind of framework could be applied to internally within the uh, government of Israel? I think it's a little premature. I think there, too, we need to be aspirational. Um, you know, Rav Usher Weiss has pointed out uh, repeatedly, as have others, that uh, for 1900 years, uh, we were not sovereign. And hence, as halacha developed, um, we don't really have a, a shulchan aruch, as it were, mm. for running a state. Right. Uh, there have been scholars like the Tzitz Eliezer and Rav Shlomo Goren who have begun, who addressed various issues, halakhic issues about running a state, but we don't yet have a full-blown halakhic framework for uh, how to run a bureaucracy. Um, so those right. are things that, that would need to eventually be developed before one could consider putting them into place. Right. Well, I guess that's why they call it racist, you know, we're, we're along the way. It's the beginning of the flourishing, God willing of Mashiach. We, we hope so. And, uh, yeah. you know, if I could throw in one, one last very brief question, and then I guess with this, we'll conclude, um, of course, oh, but, we just, uh, oh, yeah. or maybe oh, you want to, Yeah. Oh, I just want, I thought uh, we should try to get to the uh, to the bottom line of the. Oh, okay, good because we got two minutes left. So you know what, I'll have to hold my question for another time then. So yes, please give us the bottom line of Rav Ariel. I'd be remiss if okay, we didn't get sorry. that. Okay, um, <laughs> sorry. He, he boils it down to um, that there is a uh, a principled machloket among the Rishonim about um, whether uh, the mitzvah of Yishuv Haaretz in and of itself applies to these areas that we've been discussing, um, or is uh, the, the mitzvah, in other words, is it an independent mitzvah on its own, or is it a means through which to accomplish the mitzvot that are tzluyot ba'aretz? And then when he comes to uh, discussing the views of the uh, primarily of the uh, the achronim about um, settling, about Yishuv Haaretz and whether it applies 
to uh, to Gaza or not. Um, he he puts it into uh, three categories. Um, sorry, the Rishonim. Uh, he he puts them into three categories. One, the first category is that the mitzvah of Yishu Haaretz is not dependent on conquest at all. It's dependent on the boundaries that Hashem delineated to Abraham from the Nile to the Euphrates. Mm -hmm. And he cites the Kaftor of Aferach, the Tosafot Harid, and the Ramban. And among the Achronim, he mentions the Radbaz and Rav Kook. According mm -hmm. to this position, he says, uh, one could understand the famous Gemara in Ketubo. This is an interesting Chidush, um, where Rav Abba would kiss the Kipi of uh, Akko not as meaning that beyond that point there was no additional sanctity, but rather that Akko was the port from which people entered and left the land. Mm. So that, that's that's the first category. The second category is that the mitzvah of Yeshua Aretz is dependent on boundaries of the areas of Kedusha Shnia via Ole Bavel. Um, and that would be the position of Tosafot and the Rashba. But Rav Ariel says, even according to this position, um, if the purpose is to expand Israel's borders and enable them to be sanctified further through the chazaka of settling the land, mm -hmm. then they would agree that a mitzvah of Yishu Pa'aretz applies. Ah. And he cites the Gemara in Masechet Shavuot, Shavuot as proof of that. The third category is one where there are those who say that there's no Isser to dwell mm -hmm. in areas that were sanctified by Ole Mitzrayim like there is to dwell in Chutzlaaretz, but there is a relative preference to dwell in a place with greater sanctity. So maybe and someone therefore, should not live in Gaza if they had a choice, then they should live in Eretz Yisrael proper, for lack of a better term? Well, uh, he puts it a little differently. He says that um, simply that there are different levels of Kedusha. And so... Mm -hmm. um, but even according to this position, he says, they would agree that if you're living in a place like Gaza, um, in order to expand its Kedusha, there would be a, a mitzvah to live there. So his bottom mm -hmm. line is, as he writes, those dwelling in the Gaza Strip and who cling to it with their nails and their teeth out of a uh, an aspiration or a desire to ensure that it is included within the boundaries of Israel. And with the aim of drawing closer to the time when the sanctity of the land will extend to it as well, they are fulfilling with their bodies physically the mitzvah of yishuv haaretz the ashrei mi shesam chelkoimahem happy be the one who uh puts his portion yeah. with them rabbi freund and that is an excellent note to end on god willing we should um you know I, I know it's a it's a trite thing that every rabbi always ends off their speech by saying, and uh, the base of Megiddo should be built. And here, for me, we should all come back to Eretz Israel. But I think it's actually uh, very much relevant and appropriate given the topic, given the time that we're in. Uh, may God watch over your family. May watch over all the families um, in Eretz Israel who are fighting the good fight right now. 
And uh, God willing, we should see our redemption speedily in our days in hair via Mano. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Please make sure to subscribe to get the latest updates. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate us and leave a review. Do you have a response to the response that you want to share on the show? Please send your letter to the editor to mitchellmkurtz at gmail.com. And God willing, we would love to consider your perspective to be shared on a future episode. This is Moshe Kurtz, and I look forward to reviewing more responses with you next time on Shoot First, Ask Questions Later.